Welcome to the Kingdom Roots Podcast with Scott McKnight, the conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. Today on the podcast, we have a conversation on the culture of friendship that pastors are to foster. All right, Scott, so we're jumping into the uh, second chapter of your book on Pastor Paul as we're looking at some of these themes and elements that you develop of really how Paul views what it looks like to pastor and how he himself pastored. So um, today we're talking friendship, right? Yeah, talking friendship in the ancient world and Paul and uh, some suggestions for contemporary pastoral life. Yeah, you know, so I you talked about this, I know, in the book, and I've heard you in, in other settings, and it was very interesting to me to hear the framework of understanding um, the way friendship functioned in the ancient world. And I'm just curious to, to understand why you see that as so significant in how Paul understood friendship and, and how that can help us understand the culture of friendship that it seems that he desires for us to create. Well, um, you know, I, um, in some ways I subvert some of what we, we have learned to think of as about friendship. And in some ways I affirm it. Um, but when I first began working on Paul as pastor, one of the things that impressed me was the number of people connected to the Apostle Paul who I think we would call his friends, or at least I, I shouldn't say I think. I am certain that we would call his friends. I have a list of, the, of all his friends in, in one of my um, notes. But like Priscilla and Aquila, Urbanus, Timothy, Titus, Epaphroditus, Clement, Jesus, who is called Justice, Timothy, Philemon, Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke. This is just... A common, a common list of people that he calls co-workers. Now, that's just a, 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 a list of some of the names mentioned. We can go through all, all of Romans 16, and we got all kinds of names there. And so when I first started working on this, I thought that it would be, a, it would be helpful to examine Paul's pastoral approach through the lens of friendship. But the evidence of the New Testament kept blocking me, and I was working on this theme of friendship in the ancient world, in Aristotle, etc. Um, and uh, as, I, as I progressed, I, I realized some things that I, I want to talk about a little bit later. But um, I was examining Paul's relationship with all these people connected to him as a relationship of friendship. So, there's, so that's, that's where it sort of got started. Okay. So in the New Testament, there's not this explicit um, frequent term that Paul uses as um, for these relationships as a friendship, but there's qualities of it that um, really seem to inform what Paul talks about when the ancient world talks about friendship. Is that right? Well, Paul never talks about friendship in that sense, but um, when you look at Paul's relationship uh, with other people, and when you look at Paul's uh, teachings, 
uh, you see overlaps between Paul and the ancient world's understanding of friendship. For instance, um, this is one of the, the classic document on friendship in the ancient world and probably to this day uh, remains one of the greatest essays ever written on friendship is by Aristotle in, in his Nicomachean Ethics, book eight. Um, not too long ago, I, I was going to sit down and reread that, but I haven't gotten back to it. Aristotle said to be friends, persons have to feel goodwill for each other, and that is wish each other's good. And this sense of goodwill uh, will show up in Cicero in a, in a different term, um, but it, it's a common expression, feeling goodwill for the other person, being aware of each other's goodwill. So there is um, reciprocal uh, communication and relationship between friends. And uh, Aristotle laid down the observation that the cause of their goodwill, why they like one another in that sense, is about the virtues. And Aristotle, uh, as well as Plato, were very, very big on virtues and what was um, the proper habit and behavior and morals of, of, of a good person. And what I noticed is I studied friendship in the ancient world. And I think this is still the case today, mm -hmm. is that growth in virtue for Aristotle, for Cicero, for Plutarch, was growth in virtue by way of emulation. In other words, friendships were connected to another person in many ways that you wanted to be like that person. And it would be really a happy situation if they wanted to be like you, so that it becomes a reciprocal growing in uh, likeness of one another. But what I also noticed in the ancient world uh, about friendship was that it was it was pretty elitist and it was male. There were there were discussions about whether anyone could be a friend with a slave, whether one could be a friend with a woman, a man with a woman, a woman with a man. So there were uh, there were these discussions, but it all came down by the time it was all when you shake it all out, is that friendships in the world of Aristotle and classical Greece was elite males who had sufficient time for leisure to devote to one another and to grow in virtues with one another. So it becomes sort of a, the game of the wealthy and the privileged. And Aristotle distinguished then between three kinds of friends. Uh, there's a friendship that he calls utility, and that is you're a friend with someone that you get something from. Mm -hmm. I often use the illustration. Uh, if you've ever, if you've ever done this, I know you've moved quite a bit lately, Chaz. But yeah. to have a similar person who runs the gas station where you get gas, or, or um, if you are a, a father or a mother coaching a child in a sport. Uh, you become uh, friends with someone um, who also coaches and you get things from one another. That's a friendship of utility. He also distinguish a friendship of pleasure. And that is, for me, people who like to follow the Chicago Cubs <laughs> or who like to follow baseball, uh, that we can enjoy one another just because we enjoy the games or, or the team. Yeah. But that's not what Aristotle was really after. 
And I don't think that's where Christian friendship actually heads. His, his uh, third kind of friendship, it was not just of utility and also a pleasure or something that you, that makes someone that makes you happy to be with them. The third one is a friendship of virtue where you are committed to one another at such a level that you grow with one another and help one another grow in the virtues. So I, st- I was studying this, these sorts of themes, uh, Chaz, when I realized, uh, and this was, uh, I don't know, I, I knew this, but it, it wasn't a big, it wasn't a, a driving force because I was, I was exploring Paul's pastoral theology through the lens of friendship because of the friendships I have with, um, with pastors, etc. cetera. Um, I, I became convinced, I mean, it's, 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 it's in the New Testament itself. Paul never refers to any of these people he's connected with, his fellow workers, his fellow slaves, his fellow missioners, whatever you want to call them. He never calls them friends. Now, Jesus refers to the apostles, the disciples as his friends. Mm-hmm. But um, Paul never refers to all these people that he's connected to with friendship. And it, it, it put me on a quest of why Paul did not move in that direction of referring to all these people as friends. Well, I've gone on. I know you have some questions. Yeah. Well, I just think it's fascinating um, to talk about virtue. And Aristotle was um, talking about that many years ago. Um, And I think whether we, Aristotle is obviously talking about it in a way that's intentional and you're begin to deepen in this reciprocal relationship that you're being able to focus on the best parts of the other person and yourself that you share in return back and forth to each other. Um, but honestly, it's whether you're intentional, intentional about it or not, I think it's inevitable that it comes out of friendship relationships. And I think my favorite um, line on this is that, um, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And it's just the the reality of who we spend our time with has one of the greatest indicators of the direction that our lives will take. And and as a dad, man, my kids are two and three right now, and uh, they're you know pretty early on to really having um, substantial relationships. But man, I'm I think every parent is very keen on who their kids spend their time with because. We all know at the end of the day that's going to shape us all into to where we're going in life. So, well, I I agree with that, and that's part of the um, issue of friendship language is that you commit yourself in friendship to another person in the classical world, um, which then began to consume your time, which then shaped your virtues because mm-hmm. there was a recognition, and if you spend a, mm-hmm. spend your time with a bunch of screw offs all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll end up being a screw off. Mm-hmm. And uh, David, David Brooks has something about this when it comes to culture is that you can never underestimate the significance of the environment in which you work. And, and this is why parents are very wise in being selective about with whom their children can be friends. And um, so um, I, I would, I would say uh, that, those are good points made by Aristotle. Yeah. So um, I guess one of the interesting things talking about 
friendship and Paul is, at least in my mind, the way the story got formed in my head is that he's this solo guy going around. And and I think it's largely due to the fact that he's the one who... uh, writes all the letters. If we look deeper, I know what you may have to share about is how most of his letters really, he's always writing with somebody, whether it's Timothy or whoever, like most of them are at least some form of of co-authorship. And I I don't know, it's just, it's fascinating in my mind to talk about Paul in the context of friends that he really didn't go anywhere alone, but he was going with people he had relationship with. I wonder if you have any perspective on how that idea of Paul as a solo missionary became so popular. Well, it, um, I don't know the history of that conversation, but it, I think it's pretty easy to figure this out, is that solo pastors and solo uh, alpha males and solo theologians and people who like to work alone and like to have people working under them but not with them uh, have captured the Apostle Paul and have begun to reframe his uh, ministry in light of the things that they do. Uh, For instance, uh, this is an interesting conversation with me that I think is entirely wrongheaded. People will say, have said to me, well, Paul wasn't a pastor because a pastor is someone who pastors a local church. Mm-hmm. And Paul didn't pastor a local church, so therefore he's not a pastor. All right, now, think about this. Did anyone pastor a local church? Well, people are using the modern category of what a pastor is yeah. to determine if Paul was one. All right, is, is, um, is there such a thing as someone who is a pastor of a single house church in the first century? or a church in Ephesus, or are these sort of categories that we use uh, for the functions that they performed? And um, did Paul, then, then we are asking, did Paul function as a pastor? And I would contend that every word of every one of his letters and every relationship that he formed with those so-called friends his fellow workers, Timothy, Epaphras, whatever. Uh, These are pastoral relationships as much as they are uh, relationships of an apostle. And and I would contend anyway that an apostle is um, someone who kind of does all of these things. Uh, They evangelize, they church plant, they pastor, they're they're teachers, uh, and they're more, but they do all those things as well. And uh, so... um, I think I think the the critical idea here is uh, we we tend to frame Paul in the categories that we that we use uh, for ourselves and even to function even to describe a pastor in the first century of a house church is peculiar because more often than not the so-called pastor of a house church would have been the owner of the house, and he could have been called a bishop as well, and probably of a certain age in a city, and he would be considered an elder. But when you are a pastor of your own household, it's a little different than the pastor of a church today, where you then go home from your church. 
rather than you, in a sense, are always in your church because it's a yeah, house you're church. Living so communally. all these categories mm-hmm. get confused when we start talking. But um, I'm convinced that Paul had a magnificent pastoral life. He functioned as a pastor, and that's the sort of category that we're looking at. And in doing that, I want to do my best not to impose modern understandings of church offices and church ministries with the sorts of things Paul was doing. Yeah, and so instead of imposing our categories that are created in some helpful, some unhelpful, some healthy, some unhealthy um, components to to all of that, um, as we make sense of what the kingdom looks like in our communities and our culture, um, we shouldn't try to run back and necessarily retroactively do whatever we um, see in the offices that are present in the New Testament, but are you talking about like the characteristics and the nature and the function of fostering Christoformity are the things that we need to incorporate into the practices that we have present in our various different churches? Yeah, I, yeah, I, I totally agree with okay. that. Well, in a lot of this, um, actually, this may tie in really well um, with the differences that we've kind of talked about on the relationships in the ancient world and um, church relationships and function today. But uh, most of the friendships that Paul seems to be alluding to and you look into in this chapter um, are among other pastor types um, leading in some similar capacity. And I wonder if you have any insight on how friendships among pastors relate to friendships within congregations, like a pastor's friendship within the people who are in their congregation. Well, uh, this is a very good question. Uh, And I think, number one, we can ask about Paul and his relationship to people in his church. And then we can talk about how that relates to today. But the first thing is, I think probably the only context where we get close to this would be in Ephesus, uh, because that Paul was there for so long. It would be, di- but it's very difficult to know who the people were in that congregation, other than reading off the lists of people who were with him there. So if we if we take Paul as a pastor of a church at some level in Ephesus, where he was there for over two years, um, we would say that people like Priscilla and Aquila and Timothy would have been his friends, and they also probably would have been pastors, but also parts of the congregations or house churches in Ephesus. So The first thing I would want to say is we have only glimpses of Paul's relationship with people in churches, let's say that he's serving, and in serving, he's an Mm -hmm. apostle running back and forth to Corinth, so it's never quite Mm -hmm. the same. But the other side of this is I've, um, it is very common for me to talk about friendship, and I, and as I said earlier, I will subvert some of this, um, or Paul subverts some of this. In talking to pastors about friendships with people in the church, uh, it is not uncommon for me to hear pastors say, 
I don't form friendships with anybody in the church. Um, I've had people say more commonly, I form friendships with very few people mm -hmm. in the church. Um, and the reason is, is because of betrayal, uh, because um, is that if they have a responsibility to pastor these people, then their fundamental relationship is pastoral rather than friendship. Mm -hmm. um, so they, they wonder if um, lines of ministry are being crossed and blurred that, that could prevent pastoral ministry to certain people or um, might even forfeit the relationship that they should have as pastors. Um, I thought, I thought that the millennials and Gen X, et cetera, or whatever you want to call it, the younger generation would be against this sort of um, no friends in the church approach to pastoring. But my experience, um, I had a conversation with one of my classes this summer, and they were, they were, uh, most of them were pastors, and most of them were very hesitant to form close friendships with anybody in their churches. Mm. And it was intentional and it was because of wisdom and experience in their past. So friendships might not be the best, the best term that we would use with people in our churches, but, but friendship should be a category that would be operative even if it's transcended or subverted by other categories. So the good things about friendship that, that uh, there are good things about friendship that will cross uh, boundaries or borders. Uh, but at the same time, I don't think Paul would ever say that his fundamental relationship with anyone in his churches, his fellow workers, or, or let's just say ordinary people in churches, uh, I don't think he would ever say that relationship can be described by the word friendship. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair. Definitely to understand the, there's definitely layers and there's a healthy respect and understanding for layers yet. Yet at the same time, I'm glad you're, you're pushing in and, and subverting some of that because I feel like, man, so much of the time, the other opportunity it, to go in that direction is loneliness. And that's not a place of being able to do, uh, man, any significant formation of Christoformity in that culture, like we've talked about. And so whether it starts in relationship with other pastors, I mean, I think you have to understand your, your, the style of friendships, like you said, like there's so much value that I've experienced in being in class at Northern with other pastors, um, or whether it's conferences, whether it's other, uh, you know, my college friends or, or who are in ministry, whatever it is, like those, those friendships are near and dear and unique to me. Um, in contrast to some of the relationships that I have with people in the different, the different churches that I've been at. And those aren't, it's not that those aren't friendships, but they're just different. And that's good that they're different and there's value, um, in each having its place. Um, but the, the value and, and goodness of the friendship certainly still is there. So, yeah. So, um, as you studied Paul's list of friends, was there anything surprising to you about 
their interactions and um, what came out of what they were trying to do and, and what Paul had to say about them? If, if we use the term friendship for the people that Paul names and that we know some stuff about, anywhere from uh, Timothy and Titus, Silas, to Epaphras and Priscilla and Aquila and Phoebe. If we, if we use the word friend for each of these people, and I believe in his world, people would have perceived these people as Paul's friends, even if he didn't use that term for them. Uh, I would say uh, a couple observations. I know we're, we're getting near the end of our time here. Um, the first one is some of Paul's relationships, like his one with Barnabas, uh, broke apart, probably also clearly with John Mark. These relationships broke apart uh, and yet, there seems to be pretty good evidence that uh, later, Paul has reformed that mm-hmm. relationship. He says positive things about, about Barnabas in 1 Corinthians 9, associating him with the sorts of things he's doing. Um, and there doesn't seem to be tension. Um, and in the pastorals, it's, it's pretty clear that Paul has reconnected himself with John Mark uh, whom he did not trust earlier. And sometimes I I think it it would be wise to say that Barnabas saw through the situation and knew that John Mark was a guy they should be trusting. And Paul didn't trust him, but eventually Barnabas proved right. Now, someone who is a stronger proponent of Paul than I am being here might say, well, John Mark changed. Barnabas was wrong and Paul was right. And John Mark changed. And that's why that relationship was reformed. But it doesn't matter. The point is, some of Paul's closest associates, Barnabas, John, Mark, turned out uh, to have fractured relationships with Paul. So we see the story of reconciliation at times. Another thing is that Paul had uh, had relationships with people who were quite wealthy. I think that this is clearly the case with Phoebe, and it may very well be the case with with Priscilla and Aquila. Now, when I say quite wealthy, I don't know how wealthy they are, and I don't want to get into scaling economic uh, levels of people in Paul's ministry. I've read quite a bit on that in the last couple of years, and my result, my conclusion is, in general, these people know a lot of things about economics, but uh, the details for an individual person are pretty difficult to connect, uh, are, pre- are pretty difficult to fill in. Um, I think that it's very likely that Erastus in 1 Corinthians or at Corinth was also a wealthy person. So Paul probably had relationships with wealthy people, wealthy enough to be able to support his mission. And then the third observation I would make is Paul seemed to have uh, friendships with um, people, uh, with women uh, who were involved in his ministry. I, I think of Syntyche and Yodia at Philippi. And I think of Phoebe and uh, Priscilla. Uh, These clearly are close associates of the Apostle Paul. And in Romans chapter 16, Paul mentions Mm -hmm. a number of women. So I would say that Paul's relationships were varied. Now, the last, the last, I don't know if I thought that last one was the last one. (laughs) The real last last one. And that is that Paul had, it is quite likely that some of the people, 
in fact, maybe the majority, according to Robert Jewett and his brilliant research in Romans, along with the work of Peter Lampa on, um, on the churches in the city of Rome and Christians in Rome, is it's very likely that Paul had a number of friends who would, be, would have the status of slaves in the Roman Empire or the Greek world. So Paul's, Paul's free, Paul's a citizen, and yet he has good relationship with, with slaves whom he considers to be siblings. And uh, this is exactly what the letter of Philemon is all about. The letter to Philemon mm. is all about. So uh, I would say that we learn that Paul's uh, capacity for friendship was vast, broad, deep, that um, it actually lived out what he said in Galatians 3.28, neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, man and male and female. Does he live that out with the sorts of people he hung with? And he seemed always to be developing younger people, expressing confidence in them as he does with Epaphras. So um, uh, Lydia, you know, there, there's all these other, there's other women that, that Paul uh, brings in. So um, I'm, I'm convinced that the word friendship um, needs to be subverted as a complete category for Christian relationships, but it is clearly um, a part of the Pauline world and people would have seen him partaking in friendships. And I think Paul would have been happy to say, yes, we're friends, but that's not how we define our relationship with one another. And that's what we want to do in our next program. Exactly where I was going. And you, you hinted at it, actually, in his relationship there with his um, letter to Philemon. He talks about sibling, right? So that's what we'll be talking about in our next episode on what that relationship looks like. Um, so thanks for joining us listeners on today's episode and you'll have to be with us next time as we continue our conversation on the culture of siblings that Paul fosters and creates and his language about pastoring. And so I'm grateful again for you to join us and look forward to have you next time as we continue our conversation on how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. 